Crusade presents monthly Monday Movie Muckabout because the podcasting world needs another movie review show. I am Rick, also known as Not Jeff from Jeff and Rick Presents, and I love movies. I've got this really large collection of movies, and I love to find people that haven't seen one of the films that I own and have them watch it. And so this time, in order to do this little fun game that I invented, I reached out over the waters once again to somebody from Australia this time, and I am so happy that I'm sitting here talking to Paul Hicks. Paul, how you doing? I'm doing well, yeah. Great to uh, be back on the Longbox Crusade Network, and first time talking to you, Rick, not Jess. <laughs> yes, it is, uh, it's always wonderful to be on the Longbox Crusade, however you possibly you can do it. I mean, I found that I wanted to be on here more, so that's why I broke into their attic. <laughs> they said they'd give me a key, but I find it more fun to just break in and sneak around and steal the things I want to steal. By the way, if you want a, uh, a Sky Striker, we've got tons of them now, so I can send one yeah. down there on their dime. Not a problem. I'm sure nobody will mind that it's missing. <laughs> <laughs> you've got your own shows that you do. Do you want to talk about them a little bit? Yeah. Well, mostly I started podcasting with Waiting for Doom, which is all about the Doom Patrol. Um, and that's our longest running show. And it's actually on a, a bit of a break at the moment. We're on a break. It's, yeah, we've sort of covered everything to do with the Doom Patrol. So we're waiting for the DC to push out more Doom Patrol or more Doom Patrol TV shows. The other thing I do is DCOCD, which is also winding down, I guess, because we're coming to the end of all the events, where we cover every single DC event and we rank them. And, yeah. And the other show we've got is The Gary Show. But uh, there may be some other shows in the works, but we're, we're thinking at the moment. You know, if you ever really get too tired of doing comic book themed ones, I'm sure another movie review show would be absolutely welcome. Um, I, you can even steal from other people, too. They've got the Superman Minute show where they go through each minute of Superman. I think that you might be able to pull that off with Tremors. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't know if I could drive uh, anyone else into that with me. I mean, it's uh, sort of my <laughs> obsession, so... Hmm. I'm sure you could start and just bring a different guest in each week. This week, we're going to do this minute of Tremors. <laughs> yeah, minute podcasts are tough. It's a commitment. Unfortunately, I know that you asked if we could do mm. Tremors, but um, I wanted to do something of a movie that you hadn't seen and, and we're not you know absolutely in love in. I mean, we, we could definitely do a Tremors Highlander movie between the two of us, <laughs> but I, I, I don't think that you know that would really fit into this theme of the show. I actually had about three different movies that I narrowed your list down to, and I was having trouble trying to figure out which one it would be. But because we had a little conversation before the show started, and because I had an opportunity to talk with you now, I decided that I'm going to go a little serious with this one, and I'm going to give you something a, a little bit difficult, but I think that it's a little bit timely as well, at least in America. I would like you to talk about... Philadelphia. Ah. And this, of course, is the the 1993 movie starring Tom Hanks and Denzel Washington and directed by Jonathan Demme. So what do you know about Philadelphia? What do I know about Philadelphia? Well, I'm familiar with the song, which won the, the best uh, song at that year's Oscars, uh, despite the fact that The Lion King came out at the same time, I believe which is crazy. I know it. I think it was a turning point for Tom Hanks's career. And, you know, this was a point where he said, okay, I'm, I'm done with the money pits and things like that. I want to do more serious roles. And I think, I'm not sure how that worked out for him. I mean, he's pretty vanished without a trace now as an actor. We don't hear anything about him. <laughs> yeah. So, they're the two things I know about it. And I know it's about a, a man with AIDS. And it probably came out when that was a bit of a weird thing for people to talk about. And, you know, particularly homosexuality and things like that were, were not as, the society was not as comfortable as um, 
as it has come to be about those things. Well, some parts of society. Yeah, that that's about right. This is 1993. So in America, at least that was kind of on the it was starting to be more talked about. I wouldn't say more acceptable, but there was more conversations about it. It was something that helped move the conversation in the right place. So why haven't you had a chance to see this one before? Probably because it doesn't sound fun. Um, and, you know, quite often in life you go, okay, I'm going to watch something. But, you know, I really need something to take my mind off the week I've had or something that, you know, I can curl up with the missus and we can have a good laugh and things like that. Or, you know, or I, particularly I feel, like, I feel like watching something with ridiculous action and violence in it. And, you know, it's never really fit in that category. So but it's always been something I want to see. But, you know, it's a bit it's, it's a bit like 12 Years a Slave and Schindler's List. It's one of those ones where you go, oh, okay, I'm not sure how heavy this is going to be. And I really need to, you know, have that, that space in my mind ready for it when I watch it, perhaps. Yeah, I would agree on that one. Like I said, I had three different choices of movies here. I went with possibly the most... The hardest, I wouldn't say the hardest one, but definitely the seriest of all the ones that I've got in front of me here. But I thought this would be a very interesting conversation, and I kept coming to the top of my list just because we've gone through an election here, and Philadelphia and Pennsylvania have been in the news a lot, so it kept coming up to the top of my head as well. But I don't really want to talk too much more about this film. I want to let you go, watch the film, come back to me, and then we'll have an opportunity to talk about this in detail and see what you thought about it. What do you think, Paul? Okay. I, I know the score. I'll do it. All right. Well, we will see you all on the other side of this commercial after you've watched Philadelphia. Highline Incorporated is now represented by Wyant, Wheeler, Hellerman, Tetlow, and Brown. And more specifically, Andrew Beckett. Yes! Bravo! <laughs> I sincerely appreciate your faith in my abilities. Mr. Beckett! <laughs> How are you? What happened to your face? I have AIDS. Oh, I'm seeking representation. You want to sue Wyatt, Wheeler, Hellerman, Tetlow, and Brown? I was diagnosed with AIDS eight months ago during a bout with pneumonia. What's that in your forehead, pal? Uh, Andy, everyone in this room is your friend. I misplaced an important complaint. That's their story. We've been talking it over. Your future, that is. And we feel that because we respect you so much, we must be honest with you. Excuse me. Am I being fired? Would you accept a client if you were constantly thinking, I don't want this person to touch me. I have a case. I don't want him to even breathe on me. You don't want it for personal reasons. Thank you. That's correct. I don't. That's very disappointing. Sir, wouldn't you be more comfortable in a research room? No. Would it make you more comfortable? Beckett, how you doing? Counselor. Did you find a lawyer? There's going to be things said at the trial that are going to be hard for you to hear. I want to know everything about his personal life. What deviant groups did he secretly belong to? I didn't raise my kids to sit in the back of the bus. Is Andrew Beckett the kind of lawyer who misplaces crucial documents? An excellent lawyer. Andrew Beckett is dying. You were impressed with Andrew Beckett's work. Andrew Beckett, yes, angry. What powerful force has caused him to change his mind and he wants someone to pay tristar pictures presents the law's been broken i just want what is fair what is right you remember the law don't you a jonathan demi picture so let's talk about what this case is really all about did you fire andrew beckett 
because he had AIDS. The general public's hatred, our loathing, our fear. In this courtroom, Mr. Miller, justice is blind to matters of sexual orientation. We don't live in this courtroom, no, do we? Tom Hanks. I love the law. Denzel Washington. Are you gay? Objection! In a story about our lives. Oh, Mom, today's a good day. Our fears. Andy brought AIDS into our offices. And our humanity. I hate this case. Philadelphia. How many lawyers you go to before you call me? Nine. And we are back. Now, before we get into discussing Philadelphia, we should have a little synopsis for those of you that either haven't seen it or have not seen it in a while. Set in the late 80s, early 90s, this movie tells the story of Andrew Beckett, a senior associate with a big law firm in Philadelphia. Shortly after he has been given a big case, Andrew is fired for incompetence after a legal brief has gone missing. Andrew, believing he has been wrongfully terminated for failing to disclose that he has AIDS, decides to try and sue his former employers, eventually enlisting the help of Joe Miller, an African-American personal injury lawyer. Joe is confronted with his own assumptions and feelings as he defends a man who has a lifestyle he does not understand or like, but is a man who he respects and eventually cares for. The film focuses on the stigma of AIDS, HIV during that time period, as well as the anti-gay culture and prejudices. The film also showcases incredible performances by the entire cast and a stunning makeup effect as time, stress, and the illness affects Tom Hanks' character. Paul, what did you think of Philadelphia since this was your first time seeing it? Oh, it's hilarious. It's a great comedy. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I should say, I am sorry for giving you a little bit of a downer of a film. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, it's really good. Like, it's a, a really well-directed film by um, Jonathan Demme. He did Silence of the Lambs, of course, um, probably his most famous film. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I was really impressed with the whole thing. I did. It did take me back to um, my first feelings when I knew about the film, and I think there were two aspects that stopped me seeing it earlier on deeper reflection. I, I think one of the things about it is... It's a film where it was really hard to avoid any, um, you know, you knew the real world story of it and you knew where it was going and, mm -hmm. you know, you knew it was going to be a tragedy and it would be sad. And the other thing is, you know, it's the sort of film, if you've seen the trailer, you've pretty much seen a really quick version of the film. <laughs> yeah. yeah. It's a bit like Driving Miss Daisy. You know, the, the trailer is just a short version of the film that you don't have to sit through as long. <laughs> But yeah, I, I think also, I mean, this is nearly 30 years old and I think it couldn't have been made earlier and I don't know if it could have been made later, if that makes any sense. It's really quite groundbreaking. As watching it in 2020 the, or 2021 as it is now, some of the stuff, like some of the, the homophobic slurs in it are really confronting. And you think, well, we haven't been using these as a, well, most of us haven't been using these as a society for quite some time. So it's, yeah. it's really quite confronting to hear them in general use. And, the, you know, the homophobia is a really big aspect of the film. So, you know, it's very impressed that it was made when it was. 
um, because I think that was the right time Mm -hmm. for it to be made where it would really make a difference to people and, you know, humanise, you know, the face of AIDS and, you know, prejudice at the time and everything. Yeah. So, yeah, it it stirred up. You know, it's one of those films I've been thinking about a lot since I've seen it and not because I'm going to talk about it on a podcast, but just the emotions it stirs up and the, you know, the attitudes in it and everything. And, you know, I think I was pretty homophobic when I was younger. You know, I was a a young Christian guy in a church and, you know, the, the churches and homophobia go hand in hand. And I think, and you see it in the film that if you can couple a sort of moral superiority to your attitude to someone, then you can basically justify anything to them. And, you know, religion and politics and all that sort of stuff in harnessed together are just chaotic and uh, you know i mean it's good there's no evidence of that in the real world these days but uh no no good 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 that there isn't yeah, yeah. <laughs> so i mean yeah it, it was it was quite a ride yeah when i'm still sort of going on no no that's fine i, I mean that's why you're here I, I i agree with you that i think that this film it came out exactly the right time because you had to tap into the certain period where they were still a lot of questions not as many as it started, but there's still a lot of questions around HIV and AIDS. You couldn't make it any later because as that education came out, which this film helped to spread the education, really, yeah. you started to get into the time frame where people got it more and there was more that was being done to not solve the crisis, but to mitigate the crisis. And that changed the entire conversation. So you're right. It's it's that perfect sweet spot when it came out. But then you, of course, do have a lot more of what you're talking about, the negative stereotypes, the just the feeling of the, the, the homophobia that existed, the the entire culture of the time. It feels like a late 80s, early 90s film for a lot of reasons. But as they start saying those words, you're kind of like you're, you're shaking in your seat like, oh, we don't say that anymore. But I do understand also what you meant by the, the film sticks with you. I was, I had a few days after rewatching it that I was kind of going around humming the song "Streets of Philadelphia" and and thinking about scenes in the movie, and it 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 really is effective. I guess that it met your expectations. Then is what it sounds like, right? Yeah, I, it is a little bit. It's a roller coaster that you think, okay, this will be a roller coaster, and I'm gonna you know buy my ticket and take the ride, and you know, so it wasn't particularly surprising and far I got the ride you know it is it's touching and it's sad and you know the friendships and his family around him you know Andrew Beckett Andrew uh yeah mm-hmm. yeah yes. th- and that's really beautiful and really you know lovely and the prejudice is abhorrent and unsurprising yeah so I mean I I knew the film was one man's legal battle against you know discrimination I kind of wasn't expecting the Denzel Washington internal battle against his prejudices so you know there's like there's two battles going on and his is it's very subliminated like you don't really you know you hear him being very vocally um you know anti-gay and disparaging at the start and you know in fact he doesn't want to take the case at at first and then no you know later he sees andrew has gotten sicker and he's studying on his own trying to you know prepare for the case you know, something changes his mind at that point. But, you know, as the film, you know, there's no big speech about him, you know, saying, you know, I used to hate the gays, but now I get them and, you know, I respect them and I love them and, you know, all that sort of stuff. That's all inside. But you do see his changing attitudes and you do see him, particularly there's that part in the court case where he sort of really just brings all the the gay phobia up to the, the forefront, you know, mm-hmm. and 
sort of lays it out in a way that people can't ignore. I mean, I was surprised he got a fair trial given that the judge was the guy who tried to kill the Blues Brothers. <laughs> wow. Yeah. Now that I'm thinking back to it, the, you, you are correct. In fact, Blues Brothers is a show that is out that I've already put out by the time that this goes out. So, yeah, there's a connection to an earlier show. <laughs> Yeah. He was one of the good old boys. <laughs> yeah. I forgot about that. <laughs> yeah. And the court stuff isn't, you know, ridiculous or super dramatic. It's not like, you know, for a few good men where, you know, you know, yeah. you get the dream scenario where the witness impeaches, you know, um, admits to the crime on the stand in the most sensational way. You know, there's none of that. There's just this quiet lying and this quiet you know, vibe of prejudice. And you do see a little bit of the jury in their deliberations where they're going, well, you don't put the best person on the, you don't put someone who is trying to prove themselves on the biggest case you've got. You, you know, you mm -hmm. let them prove themselves on smaller stuff, which was the argument that the law firm were coming on. But, you know, wonderful cast like Jason Robards is there any actor who more embodies the old school than that guy? I mean, <laughs> you know, he's the, yes. you know, the form, like, particularly when they invite Andrew up and tell him he's got he's on this high-profile job. And, you know, everyone's sitting there in their, you know, sort of tuxes with their ties untied, all smoking cigars, and he's just there in his regular work gear, you know, and it's... It's very much the old boys club, the old white boys yeah, club, too. Yeah, yeah. Because you, you, have, you have that as well. It's it's you're one of us. You're you're exactly like us. You're one of our, our team. Come on in. Join in the fun. Yeah. And then everything goes downhill from yeah. there. And th I mean, there's even that scene where one of the partners says, hey, we should just settle this because it could look bad. You know, and uh, mm -hmm. Jason Robards gets so indignant as, you know, and say, I'm, you know, not going to, you know, the whole morality, you know, I have superior morality than this mm -hmm. man who brought AIDS into our office. You know? <laughs> yeah, he, br he brought it. Actually, it's not the office. He, he said he brought it into our homes, even more personal. He brought it into oh, our homes. Yeah. It's a personal attack on us. Which is, yeah. it, the writing in this movie is very precise in what it says, too. They, they don't use a lot of wasted words in what they're saying and what meaning they're trying to get through. Yeah. Yeah. So, I mean, powerful stuff. There's the sort of parallel at the start where um, Andrew's walking into the office and everyone is clapping him on the back, touching him, holding his hand, you know, hands on shoulders, you know, just about punching him in the cheek playfully, etc. You know, there's so much physical contact. And then you get the flip of that where, you know, no one wants to touch him because he just looks, you know, sick mm -hmm. and everyone's scared of him. And particularly um, when Denzel Washington meets him and, you know, he's washing his hands the second he's left and, you know, calling his doctor. Yeah, it's a very poignant scene too is where, he comes in, greets him, shakes his hand, pats him on the back. And, you know, how are you doing? I haven't seen you in a while. You don't look too well. Yeah, I've got AIDS. And then there's a moment where Denzel Washington starts to think about what he yeah. touched, what Andy Beckett is touching. He, you start to see him focus in on those things. And like you said, then he, you know, after he leaves, he calls up and talks to his doctor. Well, you know, am I, am I going to endanger myself? Am I going to endanger my daughter? Yeah. That's not how it's spread. And that's part of that education aspect of the film as well. Yeah, And, you know... Uh... I remember hearing, you know, that you could get AIDS from, you know, holding hands and things like that, you know, and it's all this misinformation that goes around, uh, mm -hmm. you know, once again, it's no relevance today and that, you know, there's no misinformation <laughs> about anything out there now. It's, I mean, we have computers, so everyone knows the truth about things. So. Well, and it's also interesting to watch that, this film and, you know, think about that scene and then think about COVID as well. It's, it's like, you know, all of a sudden, well, we understand you don't want to touch or get near anybody, but yeah, we have a reason for that now. Back then, not so much. <laughs> so it's, 
what's true, what's not true, and what you know, what are you going to believe and what are you not going to believe? Because now we have other people like, oh, I, I'm not going to believe it. It's it's all fake. Well, this is how we get into these problems, folks. Okay, <laughs> believe the science, believe what you're being told, trust what it says. Yeah. Let's talk a little bit more about these characters because you, you, I mean, we've kind of run through them really quick. You've brought up some really poignant ones. Well, let's start with Denzel Washington. We've talked a little bit about him already. What did you think about his role? What did you think about his character? Yeah, I mean, it's not a flashy performance by him. He's just um, a really solid working lawyer. And I guess you're used to seeing, you know, the upper class lawyers and the high priced lawyers. And he's obviously, uh, you know, working stiff. He's got his, you know, uh, he's he's closer to um, Saul Goodman than, (laughs) you know, uh, L.A. Law. Yeah, definitely. It's a more subdued role for him, I think. It's a quieter role for him. And you mentioned it before, his own personal battle with dealing with his view of homosexuals, his view of that lifestyle and what he thinks of it and, and his pre- his own prejudices. Once again, there's an interesting conversation that could be had. Well, what about you being an African man in a society of lawyers who are rich, white, yeah. and older? Uh, so, you know, it's, it's kind of flipping a lot of that on its head as well. And I think that Denzel Washington does a good job showing that he can, you know, handle that that internal conflict and sell it really well, especially with the scenes that he's got. Yeah, yeah, and the scene. I mean, he's got a new new daughter, so he's a you know first time father, mm-hmm. and that's you know part of his story. And you know, so he's he's caring for a you know new family member. Um, at the same time, he's you know watching Andrew Beckett you know just go downhill you know physically, and you know I mean that's the other amazing aspect of this performance is you know the physical um, weight loss that Tom Hanks goes through. Yes. And the other thing I thought was really impressive is they surrounded him with other actors who were obviously gay and obviously had AIDS. Like mm-hmm. they were Yes. They were doing the same thing as Tom Hanks, but it was for real, you know. It wasn't, you know, a strict diet. It was, you know, they were dying and you know, I think I heard something like 70% of the actors in this film who, you know, played AIDS sufferers were dead within 3 years or, you know, something amazing like that. Yeah, it was one of the things that I, I read up on that as well. They wanted to make sure the the Jonathan Demi and, and a few other people that were working on the film wanted to make sure that they were including them in the cast because this was their story. They were t- it was about them. It was what they were going through, and they wanted to make sure that they had a place in this film. And there were a few members of the cast who were sick with AIDS and and who did pass away from AIDS as they were filming this, as they were completing the production of it. So it it is a very touching and it's a very poignant story in that aspect. Uh, you mentioned. Tom Hanks's weight loss and, and, and the makeup that went in. And I talked earlier about the makeup that went into it. Let's talk a little bit more about that because it is quite impressive, especially you know, there's not really CGI. It's all physical effects yeah. in this. And remember, coming into this film, this was a big left turn from what people knew Tom Hanks as back then. He was a comedian. He only did comedy. He was from TV and Bosom Buddies. And now he's in this extremely serious role, playing something that's was very much against type for him. What did you think about all of that? Yeah, I mean, obviously this was a, uh, you know, a departure from his you know, comedic roots and everything. And his career was never really the same after it. But I, I think there's a real aspect of this would have been very risky and it wouldn't have been, you know, hey, let's do this. It'll be great for your career. It was probably the opposite. It was like, you know, are you sure you want to do this? 
I think uh, in my head, Michael Keaton and Tom Hanks were always vying for the same roles in the 80s until Michael <laughs> Keaton did Batman. And I think uh, Tom Hanks did this and, you know, this put them on both on different tracks. So they were no longer in the same pool of, um, you know, comedic talent for, you know, these sort of feel good, you know, no consequence comedies, you know, perhaps. Yep. And I, I think, you know, we certainly saw his career, you know, go crazy after this. And now he's, you know, one of the greatest actors of the generation. But, yeah, I, if this film had been made later, I think they wouldn't have let a non-gay man play him his role. You know, I think that's quite likely. But mm -hmm. at the time, you know, I don't know if there are many openly gay actors who would be right for this. So, you know, it it was brave and it was... You know, as you said, it made a real difference. And that's amazing. You know, it, mm -hmm. it's such a, you know, how many films get to change society's opinions of things, you know, in a way that really, really, really counts as opposed to, you know, hey, now people like superheroes because they didn't before. <laughs> you know what I mean? I, I can't think of <laughs> I can't think of another film that does this the way this one does. No, I, I, I think you're right. I mean, there, there probably are some smaller films that have made a big impact. I just can't think of them right now. These films are few and far between. You have the blockbusters yeah. that uh, we are going to talk about it. You'll have controversial films that come out and will get people talking. You'll even have silly controversial films like Dogma, which, you know, what? You're coming out and protesting a silly Kevin Smith film? What's wrong with you? <laughs> but as far as changing a national or a, a world conversation on a powerful topic, it's hard to do, and especially nowadays. I think you're saying that, you know, you don't know if they could have gotten a gay actor in at the time, I don't know if they could have and still sold the film because, like we yeah. said, when this film came out, there was still a taboo that was going on. I mean, you probably would have, could have had somebody who was still in the closet at that time and was secretly gay that would be doing the film, but I don't know if you could have somebody who was out at the time and still be able to pull in the, the crowds of people that wanted to see the film, which is sad. I mean, it probably could have been done, but... I think that Tom Hanks coming in there, a lot of people were interested and they wanted to see what he was going to do. And they heard he was going to be you know, very shocking and, and very powerful. So they wanted to see it happen. You also, of course, have his yeah. boyfriend being Antonio Banderas, which is like, well, you know, <laughs> not a problem. <laughs> another, big name, I did, yeah. I, another big name. I think Tom Hanks had said that Antonio Banderas is the only man that he would leave his wife for. And, you know, I cannot blame him <laughs> at all on that. I really can't. Another big name who at the time was almost a nobody because that I mean this is beginning of his own, his own career at that point in time too. Yeah, there's a lot of interesting people that kind of showed up in here and, and you, like you mentioned J Jason Robards as Charles Wheeler, even Mary Steenberg uh, was in there. There's a lot of just interesting people that pop up throughout the film. Yeah, I, it's funny. I'm so used to Mary Steenberg being um, someone that you, you you're rooting for, but she's the opposing counsel in this. And it's sort of like, no, shut up! <laughs> you're on the wrong side. You're evil. <laughs> yeah. Well, even at the end, you could hear that she wasn't happy being the counsel. She's just like, I, I hate this. I hate this. You can tell that she yeah. was she was there to play the role, but she she didn't like not like doing what she was doing. But I mean, it's not a, a flashily directed film. Like it's just very solid, and it everything is to serve the story and to convey that you know this isn't a gay man; it's a person, you know, and this is his family, mm -hmm. and this is the things that matter to him, and these are the supportive people in his life, you know, and this is the injustice that he's faced. So it's you know, it, it's not wow, you know, look at that amazing camera work and, you know, the stunning direction. You know, it, it's just 
there to serve the story and the story comes across really well and you know i think it's it comes across as fairly timeless like this film is relevant today you know you know there's still you know we haven't eliminated uh prejudice in our society and discrimination you know it's it's it just keeps evolving and changing and you know getting slipperier so it's i think it's a really important film to this day let me ask you this question uh we've hit a lot of highs is there anything in the movie that probably besides some of the language that they use but once again time period and, and what we're talking about was there anything in the movie that didn't work for you or, or you felt was a low point at all no actually yeah i, I mean uh, i was wondering if there's anything that doesn't hold up and you know i bear in mind i've only watched this once and I didn't, mm-hmm. nothing stood out to me, nothing bugged me, nothing was like, oh, that's a bit heavy-handed, and, you know, you know, it all seemed reasonable, you know, it wasn't, the music wasn't overly trying to manipulate you, you know, it, it's just, it really served the performances, you know, and I think there are a lot of time jumps in the story, and some of them are quite, oh, we're six yeah. months ahead suddenly, and things like that, but I think, you know, there's an aspect of this is someone's real life, and we are showing you the most dramatic moments of it that are relevant to what we're trying to tell you. So I didn't feel that was any short changing because it jumped forward and it didn't feel too long. It didn't feel too short. Yeah. It just feels a little heavy. It is very heavy. I mean, <laughs> Andy's love of opera is probably the only thing yeah. that I, you know, I mean, okay, I get what they're doing here and this is going on a bit too long. <laughs> but, um, you know, that could just be my problem. It, it is a powerful scene. And for those of you that haven't seen it, there's a moment late in the film right before Andy is going to be going up and testifying himself in front of the jury. And they have to do some prep work for it. But he's he's gone through his own depression at this point in time where he just doesn't feel like he wants to go on. And he doesn't even want to go to the hospital to, to have uh, the medicine put in his vein. And his his lover, his boyfriend, Antonio, played by Antonio Banderas, talks him into having a party. He goes, I want to have a party. Okay, we're going to have a party. So they have a big costume party full of gay, lesbian, trans people. They invite his lawyer, Joe Miller, and Joe Miller's wife. And they come in, and you can see Joe is very uncomfortable. He knows what this party is. But him and his wife come, and it doesn't take long before he's out there dancing with whoever. And, and he's just one of the gang and they all respect him because joe is fighting for their friend andy and after the party leaves everybody takes off it is just joe and andy having a moment together and joe wants to get to it let's go through the questions and andy's not ready to come down off the high of the party yet and he starts playing this opera music and he starts to explain what it's about it's his favorite piece of opera music and it it does go on a bit long but they really are selling just the passion and the love and the and the feelings that exist inside Andy, the sorrow that Andy feels that he's going to be leaving all of this behind. And you start to see Denzel start to realize that this is not just a client. This is not just a case I'm doing. This man is my friend now. Mm. And there's, I mean, Andy's almost slow dancing on his own with his IV droop on, you know, and it's, mm-hmm. yeah, oh, it's so sad. Yeah. And of course, at the end of the film is, you know, childhood footage of Andy, in this case, Tom Hanks's childhood footage, you know, just yeah, just showing, you know, this is a person, this is a little boy. This is, you know, he didn't expect any of this in his life. He didn't deserve any of it. And, you know, there's a real thread in the film of, you know, some people deserve AIDS because they are filthy homosexuals and some people don't deserve age cause AIDS because they get it via a blood transfusion and they're okay, you know, yeah. and there's this moral distinction. And 
you know, that's one of the things that has to be fought in, you know, in the whole impression of this thing. You know, no one deserves to suffer because of, you know, their lifestyle and loving in a different way, etc. You know, like, yeah. Mm-hmm. Speaking once again of the music, and I, I, I would be remiss if I didn't mention Bruce Springsteen's song, uh, Streets of Philadelphia, because it just it seems to fit this film so well and it's kind of sets the mood and pacing and beats of this film. What did you, what was your thoughts about hearing that song, especially in context of the movie? Yeah. I mean, it's a song I knew and it's probably one of my um, favorite Bruce Springsteen songs. I'm not really big. I mean, there's something very American about Bruce Springsteen. um, Oh yes. (laughs) Which as an Australian, you know, it's a bit like, you know, you really uh, I don't know. I feel like you've got to go out of your way as an Australian to love Bruce Springsteen, but lots of people do. Um, you know, born in the USA doesn't have the same cachet with us that it would you, with you guys. Um, I get it. But it, it, it's a, a somber song and it's moving and it, it, it's, you know, it's not, you know, the clip of him walking through the streets and just showing people living in Philadelphia and doing regular things and everything, you know, it really sets the stage. And, uh, you know, it made me wonder, was there a real um, struggle to come up with the right name for this film? Was it always called Philadelphia or, you know, and how did Philadelphia feel about this being the name of the film? <laughs> you know, I, I don't know. I I have not delved too much into how they came up with the name of the film because you're right. It's, it, the, the closest thing that you have there is just that it's the city of brotherly love. And I think that that might be what they lean on is yeah. the fact that love your brother, no matter who they are, no matter what they are, just care for them like a human being yeah. and just respect them for that. And that's all that it's about. And I, I think, I, I don't know for sure, but I think that that might be the reason behind it just because of the, the nickname for Philadelphia. Yeah. Hmm. And of course, uh, the other Philadelphia film that I know is Rocky. I imagine, and I can't think of too many others. Yeah. Oh, there's there's a few others out there. I, okay, I, I can't start thinking about another film. <laughs> My brain can only handle one film at a time. As we start to wrap up, though, is there anything else that we should mention, or is there anything else that we've left out of our discussion so far? I I can't think of anything we haven't caught. Yeah, no, I haven't got anything else. All right, then let's just go ahead and move right on to rating the film. As always here at the Longbox headquarters, we only do full bags of popcorn, no halvesies. So on a scale of one to five, one being horrible, five being the best thing ever, what would you give this film? You're killing me with the no halves thing, because I think I think it's better than a four, but I don't think it's a five. So, so I'll give it eight half bags of popcorn. How about that? <laughs> <laughs> very nicely done. Very nicely done. I see that Australian conversion you're doing there. I, I can completely <laughs> understand the four. I I think that it's a struggle for me, too, because I think that this is a very strong film. I think that some of the themes do feel a little dated just because we're past that time period. But in the day, this definitely would be a five for me. And just because of the ways that it stuck with me, even after rewatching it, coming back to it and after not seeing it for a long time, it still kind of got me in the heart. I think I might actually give it the five just because I can still feel it, but I don't disrespect your four at all. I can completely see where you're going mm. with where you're, where you're yeah, putting I it I think at. a five has but. to be something I want to watch again and again. And I'll put this in. This is like <laughs> Schindler's List. It's a film I'm really yes. glad I've seen and I'm not in a hurry to watch it again. But it's not as bad. It's not as extreme as Schindler's List. <laughs> or, you know. No. No, no, I, I completely understand that. I, uh, 
I, I'm trying to space out my real heavy movies as much as possible. I've got another one that's on the docket that's going to be coming up soon, uh, Grave of the Fireflies, and that's that's going to be a bit of a ride to rewatch <laughs> that one for myself, but it's a good movie. I completely understand, though. It's I promise you, the next time that you come on, I will pick something much more lighthearted. Uh, does that sound like a deal? Yeah, sure. <laughs> Before we go, Paul Hicks, can you tell the wonderful people on the internet where they can find you? Yes, um, I do a few podcasts. Well, um, normally I do a few. We're sort of on a little bit of a break, though. I do Waiting for Doom, which is about the Doom Patrol. I've been doing that for uh, six years now. But we're sort of covered every single thing to do with the Doom Patrol, Mike and I, who do that show. So we're having a little bit of a break until there's something new to talk about with the Doom Patrol. Waiting for Doom, that's our, that's one. If you like the Doom Patrol, I recommend that. If you don't like it, wouldn't recommend it to you. Um, we also do... <laughs> DC OCD, which is about every single DC event, and uh, we have foolishly decided to discuss them and score them and rank them. So you're probably thinking, how many DC events are there? Well, we've done 46 so far, 47, 47, and we're not done. (laughs) So yeah, that's still going. So if you like DC events, that's a good one. If you hate some events, you might want to listen to those apps because we hate them too. And we also do the Gary show where Mike and I just talk, just talk to each other like like humans with computers and microphones. So, yeah, that's it for me. And I'm on Twitter at reading underscore Hicks, H-I-X. Yeah. Thank you very much. I am also on Twitter, but you can find me at mmuckabout. Or you can find me on my other podcast, Unpacking the Power of Power Pack, which I host with my personal injury mannequin lawyer and her intern, Jeff. If you would like to be on this show, please feel free to contact me. You can reach me at jeffandrickpresent, all one word, at gmail.com. Also, big thank you to the Longbox Crusade for letting me use the attic of their headquarters. I mean, the cost alone from making phone calls down to Australia, hooey, <laughs> but that's okay. It goes on their dime. And in order for them to pay that dime, they've got a sponsor. It's called Omaha Bound. They're on a hiatus right now, but keep checking in with them. They are ready to bind your books and give you a very sweet hardbound edition of all your favorite comics. Really recommend them. We have the Longbox Crusade members who help support this network and our long-distance calls. So if you would like to support the network, head on over to Patreon and search for the Longbox Crusade. That's all the time we have. Please grab some popcorn, pull up a seat. We'll be back in a week with another episode. The music for this episode is Fall Back by musical genius Joe November. Check out his SoundCloud at josephlin99. That's J-O-S-E-F-L-I-N-9-9.